Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am, and I am joined, as I am always joined, by the magnificent, memorable, marvelous, monumental, mature, mirthful, and magnanimous Mad Wizard Merwim. What is up, Sean? Wow, I get like seven uh, adjectives today. You did get like seven adjectives today. I felt like giving you seven adjectives today. I, I think I need seven adjectives today just to, just, to get me, just to get myself going. Yeah, it's the hype train. You went, you went all accent-y there. I, I turned, turned Irish there for just a second. This is going to be a great show, Chris. I could feel it. Do you want to try one more time? No, I think we're good. Okay, cool. Well, let's just get into it. That was our, our, our craziness for our, for our first 30 seconds that we like to give you all out there. So let's get to announcements. What's, uh, what's the first thing we want to talk about? There is this game, Chris. I don't know if you remember it because you're a young man. It was called Baldur's Gate. Oh, my God. What are you talking about? I played the ever-living love out of Baldur's Gate. I talk about it actually quite often on these podcasts. And it was very popular. It brought a lot of people into D&D. It really and, did. And they made a Baldur's Gate 2. Which was arguably better than the first one. It was It was really good as well. Yes. And there have been many, many years that have passed since then, Chris. I don't know if you're aware. Yeah, there have been. And in fact, there's also been many editions of those two games since then. There's Baldur's Gate Enhanced. There's Baldur's Gate 2 Enhanced. There's the... Um, in between tale, the uh, the the tale of Dragonfire Keep that goes in there between one and two, I think. Yeah, it's, it's come out for the iPad. It's come out for several consoles. Uh huh. Well, they released the trailer for Baldur's Gate Three. <gasps> it looks hot as Hades. Hot as Hades is correct. I mean, who doesn't like watching you know somebody turn into a mind flayer in the trailer? Yeah, that's some good stuff right there. And so Larian Studios announces they are developing and publishing Baldur's Gate 3 for PC and for Google Stadia, which is the new Google platform for games. Which is interesting. Yeah, really interesting. I haven't heard um, really much about that yet. It's also interesting that the the outfit that did um, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 is not doing Baldur's Gate 3. Well, but, they that's a long time ago, right? Like no, those developers right, right. in that studio, the way the video game studios work, it's it's I mean, there's some parallels to role-playing game studios that are bigger yeah. ones. Like the the developers that were on those games back in the day aren't on those games anymore, really. Right. And so it is being done by Larian Studios, um which has done in the past a game called Divinity, and Divinity have, 2. Okay, Divinity 2, which I have not played. Uh but now I'm considering because I want to see what they're bringing to the table. So, so Divinity Two: Original Sin. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's not quite a Diablo clone. It's got a little bit of that feel to it, okay. but it's got it's got co-op role-playing game uh, multiplayer, like local co-op or online co-op. So you can play this game together. And it's, it's a fantasy story. Sure. So I mean, they're in that space. Like, strangely enough, Sean, I know actually a lot more about this stuff than I thought I would have. Like when I um. They just Larian Studios just had a sale on Steam this past weekend, showing off, uh, selling some of their their older games, which is part of the hype train for getting ready for Baldur's Gate three. So if you're a Steam fan, then you you know all about this because you saw the sale. Yeah. So um, and I also own Divinity two. It's it's okay. It's a good. It's a decent game. Okay, that's good. That's that's more than I knew before I started this podcast. So 
the uh, the cool thing is that they are going to base the new game on the fifth edition D and D mechanics and spells. I saw that, and they've. I saw a, a brief interview, or at least a, a, you know a couple of questions that were asked, and they said we can't bring in every single rule of five e, but we are doing the best we can to base everything that works well within a video game that is in five e on five e. So I am looking forward to that as well. And even if you're not a video game fan, uh, what this hopefully will do, what Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 did back in the day, which is hook new players who have never played D&D into the D&D world, into the D&D hobby, and bringing even more fans under the tent. Mm -hmm. By the way, um, just just sort of throwing this out there, the, the Baldur's Gate series... So 1998 was when Baldur's Gate 1 came out. Mm -hmm. Then, then the, the, the add-on, the, I, I, I don't want to call it DLC because it wasn't quite that, but it's the same idea. Uh, Tales of the Sword Coast came out in 99. Um, Shadows of Arm came out in 2000, so they pumped these games out pretty quick. And then right. The Throne of Ball came out in 2001. And then there was a PlayStation 2 video game called Dark Alliance, which mm -hmm. I remember fondly. It was like a Heroes of Norath or Gauntlet-type clone. Yep. And you could play as Artemis and Terry and Drista Orton. If you beat the yep. game. And uh, my daughter and I played the heck out of that game. Even oh, Dark Alliance? Like 10. Oh, yeah. And Dark Alliance 2. I didn't play Dark Alliance 2. Although I yeah. don't think Dark Alliance 2 was called Baldur's Gate. No, it wasn't. But it yeah. was... Yeah, it was this, you know, It was just a continuation of the story. It, it was a very different a very different game from the Baldur's Gate games. Because the Baldur's Gate yeah. games... Um, for, those, for those who are in, in, into the modern gaming um, scene... Uh, the Pillars of Pillars of Eternity is very much a Baldur's Gate game mm -hmm. in that same style. It's that third-person isometric, real-time role-playing game combat, but you could pause it by hitting the space right. bar. Sure. All those games play like that, except yep. for Dark Alliance, which was an action RPG. Sure. And then you got the enhanced editions in 2012, 2013, and then there is Dra Baldur's Gate Siege of Dragonspire, Ca Dragonspear in uh, mm -hmm. 2016. So there's your yep. history. Yeah. And so... Uh, I People that saw the trailer online were freaking out, and I was one of those people. And I don't freak out about much, but the trailer was amazing, and I just can't wait to to get my hands on this game. Have you seen some of the cover art? Like, there's that cover art where there's the um, I forget what they're called, but the the flying illithid ships. Oh yeah, yep, the dreadnoughts. Yeah, it looks amazing. Like, yep. I can't, I can't wait. I'm very excited. I'll, I'll be getting it. I'll be playing it. We'll be talking about it. I assume you'll probably grab it and play it too. So. Oh, absolutely, and uh, it may have ties into the new book that's coming out, uh, Descent Ooh. into Avernus. It, so it's rumored even... to have them. Yep. So that'll be interesting to see as well. You know, maybe, maybe if you're all lucky out there at Listener Land when this game comes out, if they have the online co-op, maybe me and Sean will just stream it playing it that i could see happening because we can do that we have the ability <laughs> that's right and i am a horrible horrible uh gamer so it should be comical to watch i, I suppose it's like the thing that i don't talk about a lot is like i have a i have a pretty bad video game obsession like i kind of kicked mm -hmm. it for a while but i've been playing a lot more video games again but like you know because i have the pillars of eternity that game is great by the way everybody go pick it up if you like there those you kind of games so yeah ballers gate three good stuff and now let's get back into the, you know, the world of books and paper with a new Kickstarter from Mike Sly Flourish Shea. He is going to be doing a book. 
that you can kickstart right now called Fantastic Adventures, Ruins of the Grendel Root. And it is a book of 10 underground adventures for 5th edition. And as of the last moment I checked, it was funded. It is. Um, it's $18,000 right now. Yeah, it's, oh, it's at 18000 um, of a 15000 goal, probably over 600 backers by now. Um, if you liked his previous uh, Fantastic Adventures, then this is you know the successor to that. And I've already heard people talking who got a, like a preview copy or a preview layer and you know they're loving it online so check that out i know i will be it looks good i like it yeah and i mean for 15 bucks you get a pdf with at least 10 adventures plus other stuff so you really can't lose on that i mean it's a really good uh crew too uh so Shay's the designer and product lead uh scott fitzgerald gray is doing the layout and the editing yep uh elvin tower if you follow that Patreon, it's an amazing oh, yeah. Patreon. It's just, it's a, in my opinion, it's just as good as Dyson Logos. So, I mean, I like the Elven Tower stuff quite a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know Jack Kaiser or Brian Syme. Or Mark Rattle. Um, Those are Mark, names that are, are not, yeah, not familiar to me. Yeah, Mark is, is a pretty well-known artist. Oh, cool. Um, I, I think he's worked on Magic as well as D&D. Oh, very nice. All right. Yeah, it looks really good. It's a I uh we'll talk about it again next week, I think, cuz I want to talk a little bit more about it cuz it's I always like Mike Shea's approach to to things. It was very much in a similar vein to uh the way that I like to approach things. So, yeah. Well, I mean, we are talking about adventure design, so it might be a good uh time to to hit that. Yeah, alternate adventure design. I like how how we can <laughs> present things without being uh bound to the, the what we see uh, coming out of Wizards of the Coast or the a- uh, Adventures League? Sure. Because that would be an interesting thing to talk about. It would be. It would be. And you know, even if it doesn't fit next time, time, we can certainly talk about it at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me about Harper's Tale, a charity compa- campaign from Matt Corley and others. Okay, so uh, Matt Corley is a game designer. Uh, I know he's done work for Cobalt Press. And... Um, he has a daughter who was diagnosed with leukemia in early 2019 and a group called friends of kids with cancer, uh, came around, gave them some money to go spend on uh, with a gift card, um, you know, while they were getting treated. And so Matt now wants to give back to that, um, charity that gave, you know, he and his daughter so much. And to uh, to state, his daughter is in remission these days, which is great. This is correct. Three months later, uh, she is in remission, um, and they want to now, as I said, you know, do something for this group, Friends of Kids with Cancer. So they are creating Harper's Tale. It's a series of 10 linked adventures telling an epic story of sacrifice, perseverance, and redemption, um, taking your party from levels 1 to 10. Um, they've assembled a team of writers, artists, and creatives who are donating their time. Um, many of the names on this list are going to be familiar with people like M.T. Black, uh, Dyson Logos, Ben McFarland, Ann Meyer, Hannah Rose, Jeff Stevens, Ashley Warren, and many, many, many others. Um, so there will be a Kickstarter for this, uh, which will be a PDF or print-on-demand through DriveThruRPG. Or if you want a no-art version, you can pick up one of those as well. For cheap. And so the campaign will begin the beginning of September. 
So nice. we still have a couple of months. But there is a mailing list that you can get on um, to stay in the loop about these things. So we will have a link in our notes um, to where you can go to get on that mailing list so you will be notified when the campaign goes live. And we will also announce it on the show. Absolutely. Maybe if we're if we're uh, really ambitious, and maybe I will be by then, I will see if I can get Matt Corley on the show. Yep. And maybe his daughter. Yeah, if there she you go. Is, if she is so inclined. Yep. So that is uh, that is the charity portion of the show. And there's one more bit of news I would like to share with everyone, because literally 10 minutes ago, I put up a new DMs Guild product uh, worked on by many of the the guild adapts. Oh, did you called, kick this one out there? I did. Called nice. Xanathar's, Xanathar's Enemies and Allies. Uh, this project has been in the works for a long, long time. But when you're creating monsters, it takes a lot of effort and eyeballing it and getting second opinions and playtesting and so on. So this product just dropped. And what it is, is a book of new monster NPC stat blocks for things like guards or wizards or clerics. What we did was we took all of the subclasses from Xanathar's Guide to Everything and made them into stat blocks. I love it. And we made two different versions of each one, one lower level and one higher level. So, you know, if you're running through a party of eighth level characters and you need a guard, that's actually they're going to fight and be challenged by. You don't really have many options. You go to the DMG and the guard is like a quarter CR or a half CR. So this gives versions of those characters with a little more oomph to them. But what I love about this book also is that it it takes these uh, new NPCs and it gives them a place in the Forgotten Realms. So you're not just getting the Paladin, right? You are getting the uh, Cormier Cavalier from, from, from Cormier's army. And you're not just getting this, um, this barbarian, right? You're getting a Creel Demon Blood Barbarian. Um, so there's not just a stat block that you can use, even though you can just pull it out and use it in any way you want. It gives you hooks into some of the cool lore of the Forgotten Realms with these with these um, NPCs. Nice. So all of them have a little bit of a description about where where you can place them and how they kind of fit into the world. Yep. So you could really grab one and create an adventure around just their background. Um, you know, clerics of Jergal, the Death God. Uh, the list goes on and on and on and on. Samurai, uh, you know, from Karatur. Uh, all, I, all those things are there. I, I love stuff like that. I kind of wish, um, I mean, this book is great. It's six bucks, right? Yep. Uh, and I love things like this because I always like to use humans as uh, a lot of, or at least like humanoids as a lot of my opponents for people. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. And so, and, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I wish this was, uh, I wish this was on D&D Beyond. Yeah, yeah, that that would be that would be sweet. I could, we could talk. I could uh, reach out and see what uh, they have to say there at D and D Beyond. Because that would be that would be fantastic. Because to that get would make, these, yeah, to get yeah. these stat blocks in. Yep. And um, you know the stat blocks I developed, and I went through 
using the same standards that Wizards does to get the CR balanced as to the best of my ability. So hopefully they are all balanced well with the other monsters. Yeah, I'll be picking this up because I'll, I'll use it. I just need now I need an Eberron one of these. Yeah, there you go. Hey, that would, there you go. Well, I've heard an Eberron book's coming out, Chris. I don't know. Yeah, if you, that, that's you a thing. That. Yeah, it's totally yep. a thing. I think we talked about it on the show. Like, there's going to be yes. a whole new Eberron book. I think we talked about it last episode. Yep. So, good times. Good times to be a D&D fan. Go buy Video this, game. everybody. Yep. All right. That's all I've got for news and announcements. Okay, so let's get on to our main topic then for this episode, which is Adventure Flow. We're going to talk about how adventures flow. So, adventures... These things are a series of encounters that tell a story with a beginning and end and something that happens in between. This isn't much different from how a short story unfolds. So we're going to talk about um, establishing a flow, working within your limits, and then uh, a third topic, resource management versus narrative flow, and how those things all kind of come together to, to create this adventure flow or how you should be thinking about these things when you're trying to design your adventure flow. Sound good, John? Mm-hmm. It sounds good. Yeah, for me... This is, of all the things that we're going to talk about when we talk about adventure design, all the things that we have talked about and all the things that we will talk about, this is kind of the hardest thing to to explain and to even do while you're writing, uh, but it's the most important. Yes. Because if, if you've ever DM'd and you've sat there and either running your own adventure or running a published one, and you know either things are going too fast or things are going too slow or things are getting repetitive um you know this flow is so important to t- telling the right story or playing a game that's exciting or you know a combination thereof so that's why it's important that we pull this one out and cover it in depth uh, all on its own yeah there are also some things I'm I'm even thinking of now as we're starting to talk about this that I didn't even include in our notes I know um, that you know, the, that's the thing. There's there's so much, and you're like, okay, I'm going to say these these points, and then you realize, well, wait, there's this whole other aspect of this that I'm not even not even thinking about that's so important. So, well, um, the, the trickiest can I say yeah. can, I, can I start with like the trickiest part about about this this topic? Mm-hmm. I think is that um, it's not fiction, right? These are role playing games, and right. role playing games are are in essence long form improvs. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say that, like a lot of people, when I say improv, people think of improv as being the comedy stuff that people normally see. That is not all of improv. Long form improv is much more about storytelling, about creating creating a story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And there's a whole set of techniques that go along with that, which we are not going to talk about today because I've just been been beginning the research on that because I'm going to do that topic on misdirected mark, and I'll probably bring it over here too to talk about that for for uh, adventure design too because. Thinking about these these writings in that frame of mind actually helps a lot, in my in my mm-hmm. opinion. It does, and the other complicating factor is right. You, you know, it is a long form improv, as you yes. say. Uh huh. But that's just one axis, right? That's the y axis. That's the x correct. A- the x axis is this is a game. Yep. So there's design that goes along with that. So now we're trying to tell a story. Or at least guide people down a story, or at least give them a, give them like this outline of a story, and then you have to put a bunch of mechanics on top of that. Right, and so you know that's one of the challenges. And as someone, well, as you did, right, going through a creative writing program, you know, you can really get down into the weeds in this narrative flow topic. You know, there's there's whole books written about just this point. And then you add the game design stuff on top of it, and it's just, it's really hard to unpack everything. And 
and then do the do the do the job of creating an adventure that fits both of these axes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I agree with you 100. percent I mean, it's hard enough to write a story. It's it's even harder to provide a framework for people to play out their own stories. Mm-hmm. That yep. is all that that provides interesting material, right? Like it's what we've been talking about for like you know three months now. <laughs> yep. So now now that we've said how hard this is going to be to do, let's talk let's about do how you can do it, right? <laughs> so let's talk about plot points slash story beats. They're, they're essentially the same thing. Uh, we talk about story beats a lot on the show and, and on other shows in this directed mark. Story beats are essentially plotting. They mean they mean the same thing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, now, see, to- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there because I'm going to argue just a little bit with you. Sure. Um, for me, plot points and story beats are two different things. Uh, I would love to uh, hear how they are to you because when right. I looked up the actual classical definition, they are the same thing. Right. So I want to I so, hear why they're different and what's different about them. See, now, now this is where we get into that, um, into that creative writing sort of thing. Mm-hmm. For me, plot points are what happens. For me, story beats are the, the mood um, of the, the story that you're telling or the... Um, the underlying atmosphere that that goes along with with plot. So for me, it's it's that difference in um, in the art of fiction that says you know the the queen the king died and then the queen died is is plot. The king died and then the queen died from grief is story. Right. For me, that's the difference between the two. Right. One is what happened. One is everything that surrounds it. So for me, a plot point is, and then the characters go deal with the evil sheriff. Right. Th- yeah. That's that's the plot point. Uh, for a story, the story beat for me is what is everything surrounding that um, that encounter? Is it going to be a combat? Is it going to be? A, a social encounter is it going to be a place where the PCs then find half the town dead or is it going to be a place where they go in and release prisoners of this evil sheriff um there therefore you know being an uplifting beat Th- that's the difference to me and i i totally uh, understand your definitions now which is okay. fine now that we can have a we can have a we can now talk about it Right. Okay, cool. So that's, yeah, and and I think going forward, I will be able to illustrate why I make that distinction. It sounds like um, story beats are a lot of the, um, it sounds like story beats are fulfilling a lot of different things as far as as far as an adventure goes for you, because not only the emotional feeling, they're also the um, where where the story can diverge, because from what I gathered from what you just said, if um. If it's an upbeat or a downbeat, could vary depending on what the players do. This is true. This is true. But as as the creator of the adventure, you can you can sort of realize what this will what this beat will probably be. Okay, um, it will curious. probably be a combat, even though the the characters can so, you know socialize or explore around it. Um, it's very interesting because I uh, I have a, often have a very different philosophy and design than that. And, and that's okay because yeah. there are many different kinds of adventures. Correct. But I, so. I mean, I, I've seen the design like that. I mean, I've seen all of your design for the most part. I, so I mean, I, I totally get what you're talking about. I, 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 I can see it in in the way that you write. Right. So, so 
let's continue uh, with the assumption that plot points and story beats are very similar things. Yes. Okay. Um, so then encounters are, they're the building blocks of any adventure. And uh, I, I think that within each of these encounters, there should be one or more story beats or something that reinforces the unity of effect idea that we keep talking about, which is kind of what I think you're talking about with story beats and plot points. Right. The, yes, absolutely. Um, and then as something slightly outside of the normal, I wanted to talk about character arc or emotional beats. Okay. So this is harder to do um, in a game for, for this because the physical... The idea is that the physical action of a story creates an emotional reaction within your character. Those are emotional beats. That, that's the definition as far as screenwriting is concerned. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of the idea that the moments of emotional reaction show, what, show us what motivates the next action within the character. And uh, when you connect all those emotional beats within the story, you can clearly outline the character arc. Now, in role-playing mm -hmm. games, these things are super hard to produce because you don't have any control over the player characters. Right. Um, so D and D adventures mostly stick to plot points and story beats. Mm -hmm. um, on the bright side, if we wanted to, through D and D, we have a couple of things we can hang options for emotional beats on. Now we can't force character arcs, but we can at least present options for character arcs, in my opinion. And you can do that by utilizing backgrounds and alignments of characters. Mm -hmm. Now you might not know what the characters and the backgrounds and alignments are, but you can always present those ideas by saying like. Um, so say say that the adventure surrounds the rescue of a noble. That mm -hmm. anyone with a noble background might be more interested in that adventure, and you can put a sidebar in that can be used to highlight the noble angle of the adventure. Mm -hmm. um, or if, say, the adventure surrounds defeating an evil undead necromancer, or the evil undead necromancer is the the antagonist of the adventure, mm -hmm. then anyone with a good alignment or a grudge against the undead might be more interested in defeating that, that person or anybody who might, who is actually of evil alignment. If you're playing with that kind of set of characters might be interested in aligning themselves with that character mm -hmm. and you can use them True. as a foil. Um, yep. The question is, is like, how do you highlight that with a sidebar? So the way right. that I would highlight that is I would pro provide a bit of background information like a couple of sentences or so about the situation to help the dm improvise along with a few questions they can ask someone who's more interested in that situation based on their background or their alignment sort of like what did the undead do to you who is your noble family and how are they related to this noble family if at all or why do you hate necromancers and the undead stuff like that that'll help you get started or help dms get started so you can present that information it doesn't have mm -hmm. to be hard coded into the adventure but it can be options Right. I would add one thing. I think those two points, the backgrounds and alignments, are a great way to to um, predict what that emotional arc, the, you know, what the emotional beat, the character arc will be. Mm -hmm. You could also use factions. Yes. Yes, um, you can. It's you know very similar to backgrounds in the sense that everyone in this faction feels this way, so you know that it, the character should at least have a leaning in that direction, whether it be... You know, the Harpers or uh, Order of the Gauntlet or, you know, even um, uh, the Mercenary One, the Zentarum, um, may have different feelings about different things. That's true. Uh, so should we talk a bit more about plot points and story beats, like what kinds of plot points and story beats there are? Because I think that's very important for understanding how you can create this outline. Sure. Because I think that's where you should really start when you're designing, right? For this flow... Like you should have mm -hmm. an outline and maybe right. on that outline, you can have 
these these plot points and then the story beats that are probably associated that you're, that you're angling for with them precisely precisely and a, a lot of this is going to be based on what limits you're working under uh, which which we'll talk about later but sure let's let's uh, mention mention some of these first so so your plot points are really just the the story like n- mm-hmm. not not the not the beats of the story but how things are probably going to play out the the, the right. angle that you're going for right right so it's really easy with a mystery because you're like well you're going to find this clue and then this clue and then this clue and then this clue and then solve the th- whatever the mystery is yep or i know we're starting here i know we're ending here what's the path that we're going to take to get from a to Z. Mm-hmm. And that could yep. be like, well, here's the dungeon that they have. To exactly. It could be could be rooms of a dungeon you know, yep. or, um, you know, the the rooms of a heist or you know, in a building or, as you say, you know, with a mystery, you know, what clues do you find along the way? Yes, absolutely. Yep. And that kind of gives you this this bit of an outline. And then to that outline, you can apply the story beats that Sean mentioned, like where you want the emotional hits to be and what you kind of want the up and the down beats to be of your adventure. And then mm-hmm. you can then you can look at that or at least predict where you want them to be. And then you can look at that and make sure that you haven't put too many upbeats in a row and too many downbeats in a row because you don't want that. Right. And another way of delineating story beats is through combat exploration and and, you know, social. Yep. That is also a thing to do. And so if. If if you know if you're writing an adventure just for your group, and you know they love combat, and they start to nod off if they're doing any sort of role playing or exploration, then you know that you want the beats to be combat, 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 and then maybe something to break it up, and then combat, combat, combat. Um, if you're writing for a larger group that you don't know what their play style is, then that's when you want to keep a specific eye on these beats to keep things um keep things changing keep things flowing and allow the dm then to highlight certain areas or de-emphasize certain areas based on the the party that they're dming for uh-huh and that's um, always the trickiest part right and, and, exactly. and when you're writing for that larger group because you want to make it so like it's probably this beat but there's other options if you want to use them and that's always the hardest thing to do right so you know if if you know that your story, your your plot is going to put the characters up against three fights, probable fights in a row. Um, for that second fight in in the in the three uh, sequence of three, maybe give an option for something more social or a way that they can use exploration to get around that fight. Uh huh. Um, and so that gives that DM the option of three fights in a row or something different. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it takes a little bit more um, thought and it takes some amount of uh, of of wordplay in a lot of cases so that you're not writing thousands and thousands of words to get this stuff across. But it's doable. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Uh, and now, a lot of time just just being clear about the goals of an encounter um, can let the DM know. They can use their own imagination or their own skill and change things up without you having to over-explain how to do it. If you can just say the goal of this encounter is to find out this information, um, then they can use the combat to get that information or they can go another way without you over-explaining how to do it. 
Yeah, even if the goal is like defeat the enemy, um, that could be a straight up fight, or it could be well utilize the terrain by sneaking around and triggering the situation to defeat the enemy, right? Like, mm -hmm. oh look, you dropped the rock on the minions and cornered the bad guy who now surrenders. Sure. Or that huge pile of alchemist fire um, at the yep. back of the room. There yep. you go. It's just yeah, how do you blow sense. that up without killing yourself, right? Exactly. But that's exactly. that's just as much of a fun encounter to me as um, you know throwing down with the the twenty seven goblins in the room. Sure. I mean those those are those are fun encounters too. I like them. They give somebody a chance to use a fireball and just kill a bunch of people. Yep. And so really, what we're talking about is not anything more than you don't already do. It's just one small extra step. So if you're creating an adventure, you're probably going to outline it. Just take the time then to go one step deeper than just the plot points and think about it in terms of the story beats. Think about it in terms of what emotion, what um, atmosphere, and what means of completing the task am I, am I pointing to here? And vary it up a little bit if you can. and At least recognize what those are and then vary it if possible. And then, of course, don't forget about your unity of effect. That's right. That's right. If you're going for, you know, the sort of magical fey um, thing, then just make a note on that outline of a couple of details that you can add to bring a unicorn in or to, you know, have the glowing uh, fairy dust everywhere. You mm -hmm. know, whatever, whatever that is, uh, think, think in terms of those details. Yeah. And we're sort of drifting into our next topic right now, which is the idea of working within your limits, right? For sure. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about, about, I mean, essentially plotting and creating that outline is giving yourself a limit. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of unity of effect is giving yourself a limit because you're trying to keep within that unity of effect. That's right. Uh, and, and these are limits. Uh, but sometimes you have limits placed on you, especially if you're writing for a larger audience. Yep. But it's, uh, it's, it's never bad, though, to know your own limits and set your own limits, like we were talking about, the unity of effect. Even, yep. if, you don't, uh, and you, even if you don't necessarily have to follow them at the table. Right, like, right. Because we're just talking. I'm. I am talking about designing adventures, not necessarily running them. Sure. So, so if if anyone out there listening is in any creative endeavor, you know, it could be sculpting, it could be painting, it could be crocheting, it could be writing. When you start something, you have no limits, or very few limits. Um, if you're writing, you're sitting there with a blank page and you know a hundred thousand words in the English language you could use. You want to limit yourself so you can get started in the right direction. And, you know, even if you don't realize you're limiting yourself, that's what you're doing when you're writing, right? You're limiting yourself to get the right words in the right order on the, on the page. Mm -hmm. So even if you aren't writing for, say, the DMs Guild to put up an adventure, um, you know, you're writing something that's going to be just used for your home group and they do anything they want and you allow them to do anything they want and go in any direction. Um, still give yourself some limits to, to focus and make the adventure they're going to be playing as tight as possible. And that could be something as simple as I'm only going to use four different kinds of, uh, enemies. Right. Absolutely. Or it could be, I want them to complete this goal in two hours. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to create the adventure to fit within that scope. 
Uh, so there's could, yeah, well, let's talk about the, I mean, instead of, instead of exampling it, why don't we just talk about the kinds of limits that there are? Like how long is your adventure? That's, that's a limit. Right. Right. Yep. Um, how long is your adventure or, or how long is a, like I just said, a specific goal within your adventure? Yep. That, um, uh, what is the level range for your adventure? What are the, the, the levels of your characters? Cause that, that generally like limits what you can do. Yep. Um, um yeah, so, but sometimes it's work count, right? It absolutely is. Uh, um, sometimes it's the type of encounter that you want to do. That there's that too, right? That's that's a thing. Uh, I'm you know I may only want to do social encounters for for this set amount of time uh, within the adventure. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a limit to figure out how to best do that and how long it will take the characters based on what you know about them to uh, to do that. For those people out there that have written or are interested in writing AL type stuff, sometimes there's experience limits. At least I don't. There used to be. I don't know if there are anymore. Um, there, there, there's yeah. It's not as strict as it used to be. Um, and you know, back in the day, you would have a very, 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 very specific uh, experience point total you could use for your monsters. Mm-hmm. And what that ended up doing was basically setting the exact pattern for every encounter or every adventure. So there we would joke, you know, you would start with the role playing encounter at the tavern. Then you would move on to the obligatory thug encounter. Um, and that, that's, that's what we jokingly called it. The OBE. Uh, and then because you didn't want to give away the whole plot yet, but you wanted a combat because you needed to put in a certain amount of XP so you needed this encounter at the beginning, so you would just throw thugs at the at the characters. <laughs> it's you know? funny. There were and, clever and, there were clever designers out there that started figuring out that you didn't have to do it that way because you could give experience points for not fighting. Precisely. Well, once once the rule was set that you could give experience for things other than combat, then it became easier. But when the rule was you need this many experience points worth of monsters that must be defeated to get. Um, the experience, it it became the sort of role play encounter, you know, role play combat, um, exploration, social combat, combat, and yeah, there's just a way to do it, right? Right, and and you had to because you couldn't have the combat be too difficult, so you had to do more than two, um, but you couldn't go too long. So you couldn't have four combats unless you cut everything else out of the adventure. Now, this was back in, like, third and fourth edition days. Yes, you were definitely uh, talking about my experiences writing for fourth edition D&D. Yeah, exactly. So so you know it had to be three combats. Um, th- and so you could, if you really tried, you could mess around and, like, have all three combats right away than a lot of role-playing at the end. Um, or you, what I started to do was I found players would be saving their resources because the last encounter was always the toughest. Mm-hmm. So what I did was use the majority of my experience points in the first combat. Mm-hmm. And so you know, players would be saving their big spells or their big powers, like their daily powers, they'd be saving them. <laughs> and getting pounded on. And getting pounded on, and they'd be like, what's happening here? So then they would either, you know, that would be a very intense combat, or they would blow all their their high level uh, abilities and spells then, and then they'd be freaking out the rest of the adventure, thinking, "Oh my gosh, that was just the first combat. Now all this hard stuff's coming at the end." And you know, if they did save them, then the 
last part would be pretty easy, but if they didn't, and then, uh, you know, they'd still be pretty tense at the end. So it, it worked until people started realizing what I was doing and then, you know, they prepare for that. So it was, it was an interesting time. It was an interesting time. Indeed, I remember adventure it. design. Um, another limit, uh, time constraints within the adventure. So if the adventure lasts for an hour as a pressure pack situation, I don't mean in play time, but I mean like as in for the adventure, like adventurers yeah. in game in play, like in the, in the fictional world, uh, then there's no time for longer short rests. So that's very different um, from a design point of view than if the adventure is a location exploration based and can last any amount of time, you know, because they can just leave and go rest and then come back. Right. Yep. Yep. Um, A good example of that is the siege. Right. You're, You're in a tavern and there's enemies outside coming in waves. And so you don't control the the pace of the adventure as the player. Now the, the pace character. is forced on you actually. Yep. Yep. But, you know, like I said the exploration one, you control completely the pace. It's just how it's usually um those games have more of a push your luck thing like because they have random encounters in the way in and way out, right? Or mm-hmm. the dungeon will change um between short and long rests. Yep. Which I suppose we should probably talk about resource management and narrative flow, flow now, right? And how that right. kind of so- impacts and works together. Yeah, so this is where the X and the Y axis that we've been talking about meet. Yeah. Right? Because you have a story on one hand, but you have a game on the other hand. Mm-hmm. And and so working together with to to make those two meld into a way, into a a unit unified uh and fun paced uh adventure is is tough, but we have the tools to do it. Yes, absolutely. Um so what are what are some of the things you want to talk about? Like I, I put a bunch of list of of a different different things here. Um, right. At least the two that made the most sense to me as far as like mechanics go, and how they how they affect narrative flow. Well, let's talk about long and short rests first. Yes, let's do that because that's a game mechanic that is also a uh, you know a storytelling mechanic. It certainly and this is. This is this is where I see people especially new adventure designers and even experienced adventure designers struggle the most. Um, you know, a, a long rest is a long break in your story. Yep. And a long rest is a reset of the character op, uh, you know, character resources in the game. Yeah. You get everything back. So when you're designing your adventure, you have to take into account this long rest mechanic on two levels. You can't have a long rest in your story while still wanting to keep the tension high within the game uh, or vice versa, right? So this is something that while you're writing the story points, the uh, the plot points, uh, you want to always keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Now, short I- rests are... Go ahead, Chris. I always think of a long rest as like if if you're going to allow for long rests in whatever story that is going on in the background or or in the foreground, then the long rest should make something drastically change with whatever's going on in the story. True. Right. There should be, you know, there should be a turning point at at the time of long rest. Yes. Um, Whether it's... You know, something like you said, like the the dungeon now changes because you've taken a long rest mm-hmm. or the story advances away from the characters mm-hmm. because they've taken a long rest. Making um, it more and, difficult on them or problematic or causing some sort of complication. 
Exactly, because there has to be a consequence for a long rest um, outside of the game mechanics, because it is a game mechanic, right? It is the the in a game, it's the characters saying we are going to give ourselves an advantage here. So therefore, that advantage has to be accounted for somewhere else. If it can't be accounted for in the game, it needs to be accounted for in the story. It's true. Yep. And, and there, there are a lot of ways to do that. So um, real quick, uh, there are clocks that you can set. So it doesn't always have to, like, you can... And by clocks, I mean timers. So, like, mm-hmm. uh, if you take a long rest, X happens. Or if you take three long rests, then X happens. Like, you can do it that way if you want. Right. Because um, then it's like long rests become a resource in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Very true. Mm-hmm. Very you true. Do this, and, and you can do the same thing with short rests. It's, it's not as big of a... It should be... It depends on what you're designing, right, Sean? Sure. You know, th- when you're designing a big, long adventure, then you want to work on the long rest... Um, scale and work on the short rest scale within the smaller um, you know mini campaigns or mini adventures within the long adventure um, if you're writing like a four hour adventure uh, then then the short rest it's the same deal there when they take a short rest something happens yeah you know um, what to to relate it back to your idea of plot points and story beats I mean essentially a a, a long rest and a short rest in depending on the kind of story that you have set up, the kind of adventure that you've set up, they're they're essentially a story beat that the character chooses to take. Mm-hmm. So yes. then you have to decide beforehand when designing this what kind of beat that actually is in the in in the adventure. Mm-hmm. So that's a good way to think about it. Sure. Yeah, I like that. Um, do you anything about- else about? Anything else about long or short rests? I, no, I think I, I think that last thing summed up pretty well what you should be doing with your short and long rests. Right. Yeah. Okay. So there's other resources that are part of the uh, you know resource management game of D and D. You have uh-huh. spell slots, hit dice, hit points, um, your class abilities that last you know until you take a long or a short rest. Mm-hmm. All that um, stuff, right? Yeah, and all that stuff is weighed on one side of the equation against the challenges that you're providing on the other side of the equation. Not only that, but when, when the characters utilize those things, they can um, alter the story beats that Mm -hmm. you, that you intend. Sure. So they can change things, but that's why it's good to not have your stuff always completely locked down, having, having flexibility there as a designer Right of these things because then it'll provide you the flexibility, or at least the game master, the dungeon master, the flexibility to change on the fly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, I mean, the real question, I suppose, is uh, when you don't know what the party's bringing to the table. Like, how do you how do you balance that out? How do you even get to any kind of like idea for like how you should be designing? You you ha- well, hopefully, you'll know the the level of of the characters that, that you're writing for that helps yes <laughs> big time um if you don't you're in trouble uh but you know even then you can put in adjustments you write for a certain like the adventures league does you know this is written for eighth level characters if you have fewer characters or lower level characters you know go with this challenge if they have higher go with this challenge that's mm-hmm. it's it's not perfect 
as but as long as you keep it within you know a couple levels of each other it's it's not impossible to do if you get too far away you know more than a couple levels in either direction um then it gets much more difficult and at low levels it's really hard because you know if you're writing for a third level character making it easy enough for a first level party is hard um because there's a huge difference between one and two and two and three there, uh, very much so i mean you're you're almost doubling and then tripling in power mm-hmm. yeah especially especially third level characters from second to third compared right. to because you spellcasters get get second level spells second level spells a lot of the subclasses come in around third level uh, so yeah i think i think by third level all of the subclasses come in right so like even if, if some of them get them at first, that those are pretty definitive d- defining of, of a character. Um, some of them come in at second, not very many, but some of them do. And then the rest of them come in at third, which gives mm-hmm. a bit of a power boost. Yep. Because usually those third level abilities are, are generally fairly potent. Right. Yep. So, so your original question was, you know, how do you write an adventure for, for publication, not knowing who the, you know, the players or the characters are going to be. Yeah. And, and, Really, what this comes down to is you have to set the flow and you have to tell the DM what that what you're envisioning with that flow. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have to create you have to treat this adventure as a user manual for the DM that the DM can pick up and riff on uh, based on their players. So so now not only have we decided that um, that this is one, a story. And two, a game with a bunch of mechanics on top of it, but it's also three, an instruction manual. Exactly. Exactly. And and we've already talked about this when we said, you know, be clear what the goal is of the encounter. Um, and be clear what the what story beats you're, you're going for, right? What plot point you're trying to hit and what, what the beat um, means in the in the ongoing story. Or at least what the you, beat is supposed to mean in the ongoing story. Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, that's what they started to do with the Adventures League stuff. They did. Um, you know, a few years in, they, they realized, you know what? If we want our DMs to be empowered to change things, they should know what we intend with these uh, different encounters and within these adventures. So let's tell them. Uh, you know, this this is where the encounter starts. This is where we expect it to end. Get there any way you want. It's taken a bit of a bit of time, which is understandable. But between between what the Adventures League has done with some of their design and the way that they present adventures, and with what a lot of the streamers have done with um, the way that they play games, which is, has that more long form improv style, mm-hmm. um, we are now seeing. Um, a lot more gaming that that feels uh, natural, I guess, mm-hmm. is the best way to say. Like, like the stories are are evolving naturally instead of feeling forced, right? And and you know, the way, I'm I'm trying to figure out the best way to say this. Uh, in earlier editions of the game, on the X Y axis where X is gaming, uh, X would often take priority yes you know the game would often take priority over the story we need to do things this way because it's a game and the story will have to follow what the game says which is kind of interesting to me because i never thought that uh i never thought that the original designers intended it to be that way 
I don't know is that they did, but I don't think they were the best at getting across what they wanted their rules to do. Mm-hmm. That's probably you know what I'm fair. saying. I just remember um, hearing the stories about those games. Like the, the the rules of those games compared to the stories that you hear about those games are very different. <laughs> this is very very true. Um, and you know, I think I think when third edition came along and it was a much better game uh-huh. than first or second edition, just in terms of game mechanics. It, it was, and it was presented better too. Right, but the mechanics were so codified. Yep, that it they became the focus and and rightfully so in the sense that they were well written and they made sense and they were very granular and they were easier to follow so they that's where the attention came uh fourth edition so, was a lot the same way d- very true very Ex- true it, except fact, they presented their skill challenge stuff poorly compared to what yeah. it was intended to be True. I actually actually know that it was presented poorly compared to what it was intended to be after talking to Rob Heinzo a few times about it. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, well, as a playtester, I know uh, but that it was a it was a process that could have been handled better. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's funny. But but I think what we're seeing now with fifth edition, especially as you know these actors and these you know storytellers um, stream their games and and we see how they are using the rules. We are seeing it more swing back toward the y-axis where where the story is more important and the rules are there and the dice are there, but we may not follow every rule to the letter if there's a better story to tell if we don't. Mm-hmm. And also, the um, I, I mean, I don't want to short the Adventures League. They're, they're due. Like they, they've done a fairly good job of being like, look, DMs. Make this thing your own. If you need to make some rulings and some calls, go and do that. Sure. And and also the 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 rule books themselves, the player's handbook, the dungeon master's guide, they actually advise that too. Like, look, this there's gonna be spaces in this game where you have to make a ruling. Mm-hmm. We don't have rules for everything. Right. Yeah, so it's 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 been an interesting time. Well, in D D it's been a super interesting time. Uh, but you know, that's just because of the popularity of the game. But just to see where that pendulum falls between the game aspect and the storytelling aspect and, and how to best meld the two, um, it's, it's really good. It's a really good time to, to be a student uh, you know, and, and, a, and a scholar of that. And we are going, I think, to see in future products more emphasis placed on helping DMs learn how to do that themselves, right? How to take the rules that, that they've been given and read the table and figure out what kind of experience that table wants and, and give it to them. And I think that as um, designers, this idea of adventure flow, and especially this idea of um, plot points and story beats, with story beats being more about the intention of, of the moment, uh, I think that's probably the best way I can think to say what story beat means to you, right? The intention of the moment, mm-hmm. at yes. least in at least in adventure design, uh, the intention of the moment is really important to write. And when we and when I say that, like presenting this information, like here's what we intended. If they don't do that, it's okay. And here's a way, here are some ways that you can work around that, or sure. utilize this information that you've been given to work around that. Yep. And and writing that is hard. Yeah it 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 takes. A lot more 
um, mental gymnastics than either just doing straight game mechanics or just writing a story. For sure. But, I hope that uh, I hope for everyone out there in listener land, the, the, this adventure flow made sense. If not, we'd love to hear some of your thoughts. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad, Sean, that we took some time to talk about uh, plot points and story beats early on because because I was when I saw them as two different things, and then I went and looked up story beats because it had been a while since I looked up the definition of story beats. I saw plotting next to story beats in screenwriting because I'm mm-hmm. I have a bit of a screenwriting background from school, uh, also creative writing stuff too. I was like, well, I hope I, I thought I was in the I thought I had it on the right right uh thing and then you uh, you came in and and we kind of hashed it out and figured out what we're talking about and i think that's good yeah all right uh anything else you want to say no i think um i think i've blown my own mind and i think uh we we've covered a lot in a very short time there we did i mean a lot of it's using a lot of the things we've talked about in the previous six or seven six to nine episodes yep all right well um Let's do some Patreon shoutouts then before we get out of here. Uh, Matthew Pezzarelli, uh, Dan Simons, Craig Just Craig, the Lord of One Name, Eileen Barnes, the Duchess of Pandas Talking Games, Jim Likes Games, our uh, Royal Merchant, Andrew Dacey, the Lord of Whiskies, Eric Bonds, the Ware, the Lord of Gators, Todd Crapper, the Prophet of Probability, and also the best name in gaming. Love Todd Crapper. Um, Schmitty, the, Lord, the Keeper of the Labyrinth. Uh, Kevin Lovecraft, the Royal Beard, P.K. Sullivan, the Queen's Royal Rocketeer, John C. LeMay, the Guard at the End of the World, and John Carney, the Court Necromancer. I I did that without. I have a memorized. That's not that's not good. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm sitting here watching you, and I'm like, he's doing this from memory. That's that's impressively scary. I mean, that just that just shows how dedicated our patrons are. Cause that's right. The, these patrons have been our patrons for a very, very long time, which I greatly that's appreciate. True. Thank you so much. And yes, speaking thanks. of speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be one of those dedicated patrons of Down with D and D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for uh, a paltry two dollars a month, you can get a, yourself a shout out. Not like the court shout outs, but you can get yourself a shout out. Now, for four dollars a month, you not only get that shout out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes and access to our Slack room where you can chat with us about story beats and plot points. And Chris will even memorize your name and your title. Yeah, pretty much. Um, also, you can talk to all those other cool people I just mentioned, because they're all in there, too. True. At least most of them are. Um, if you can't help us monetarily, but you want to give us a boost, you can just give us a, a podcast review somewhere. Apple works best. iTunes reviews, they, they're great. Yep, we appreciate all of those things in any form you could do it, even if you just give us a little boost on your social media. Sean, man, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me best on Twitter at Sean Merwin. How about you, Chris? Well, you can catch me at Misdirected Mark. That's the network Twitter. Um, or you can go to The Light 101. That is my personal Twitter. You can also just go to the website. That's a great place to, to leave comments and whatnot. And you can catch other great shows, such as the Mixed Directed Mark podcast. That's where myself, Phil, and Bob, we go live every Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. And we break down and get inside games, game mastering, playing games, and game design in an effort to entertain and inform you. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Hey, Mr. Merwin, what are we going to do now? We're going to go kill or talk to or sneak around some monsters. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D?